Please join me in Ephesians chapter 4. We're in these strategy sessions as a church. We've been looking at our logo and the meaning that we built into that a number of years ago to really talk about what's essential as a church. You ever thought about that? What is it essential that a church do? Churches do lots of ministries. Sometimes ministries run their course, and then it's time to no longer do that ministry. Programs come, programs go, and that's all good as long as we re retain the essentials. It was back in the 1980s and the early 1990s when there was a ministry in worship called a banner ministry. If you've been around church for a, a lot of decades, you might remember when there used to be banner ministries. Anybody remember banner ministries? Some of you remember those. And it was a sweet time. It was, looking back, it was kind of a fad in the church. But I think it was a, a good fad. And so what it was, for those of you who didn't, who didn't know these things, they would, churches would make banners. They'd spend a lot of effort in making these beautiful flags. But so basically people would bring them into a worship experience uh, during a choir song. They'd be carrying the banner. They'd have like a pole there. And then the banner would be coming down like this. And there would be a, a name of God, like we heard Jaira earlier from our choir, or there might be some attribute of God on these, like holy, like we just sang about. And so if the church was really large, there will be a lot of these banners. And so I remember a Sunday when we lived in Memphis and we attended Bellevue Baptist Church, a, a very large church. And I remember the Sunday they were singing the song Mighty Warrior. And it was awesome. And then the, the banners started coming, these ornate, beautiful, shiny banners. They started coming in one by one. In a large church like that, there had to be over 50 banners. In my recollection, I don't know if it's possible, could it have been 100 banners? I don't know. They just kept coming in and coming in. And that song, Mighty Warrior, coming from the choir, it was, it was awesome. And then uh, all these different names and attributes of God coming in. And then uh, finally, this, this larger banner than all the rest comes in. And it was in a royal color. And it looked like it had shoulders to it. I don't know. It was just larger. And, and there was a crown on it somehow. And it just came kind of lumbering in. It was like it was a person walking in, though there was a man carrying the banner. I was in awe, and I thought, I wonder what that one's going to say. And then it walked up. The man walked it up to the platform there, and it turned majestically to face all of us. And there in gold, shiny letters was the name Jesus. He said, oh, yeah, that, we hadn't seen that one. It's Jesus. And, and really, in that moment, it was so awesome, I had to remind myself it wasn't actually him. And then I realized, oh my, this is a split second of idolatry. <laughs> I was about to worship that thing that looked like Jesus-like thing. So nothing wrong with banner ministries. It was quite awesome. Most Sundays I kept it together better than that. But we don't do banner ministries anymore. Is that okay? In fact, I went online to try to find some old footage of banner ministries. I couldn't even find it on YouTube. It's been gone so long. There are some people doing flag ministries now. They're twirling flags in worship, and I don't think that's catching on. But, it, but is it okay? I guess I, I'm trying to head off anybody going, hey, baby, we can do that. Let's don't, <laughs> let's don't do that. But think about it. It was fine for a season for that. All the effort and hours put into building, drawing, making those beautiful, shiny banners. And all those hours of beautiful rehearsal of great choir music to go along with that. And then all the square footage to store all those banners for all those years. Since we haven't done, by the way, during the pandemic, when we we're cleaning up around here, uh, we found a lot of those old banners that Staples Mill used to have back here, and uh, they're no longer there. So I'll just let you know that. And we remember thinking, if we ever bring back some, that, if that ministry fad ever comes back, we would need to update the banners anyway, so we didn't lose anything. But here's the point. It's okay that we don't do banners anymore. It's okay that we don't do handbells anymore. 
It's okay that we don't do dance teams and dramas, dramas anymore. It's okay that we don't wear choir robes and suits and ties anymore. But it must be true of us that we still worship. Worship's the essential. The styles might change. The programs might change. But one of the fundamentals for us is worship. So let's go back to our logo and think about what we built into that. The meaning there for us, it is our strategy. First of all, there is that vine. And we reminded ourselves from John 15 that Jesus is the vine. And we are branches, not the other way around. We're not the vine and Jesus is a branch. He's the vine. We're branches. We trust him. We love him. We, we're all delighted about him. So prominently in our logo, it's Jesus represented by that vine. Then there are those four ascending blocks that really call out the essentials for us, what we all ought to be about. And so we have that first block that we call encounter. And by that, we mean that we intend every time we gather like this to encounter the living God, not just attend services. I need to have an encounter with him in worship of him. Then we have that next block going up. It represents encourage. And we talked about that last time about how we are to be known in the church and to know others in church, to carry out all those one another's, to love one another, to pray for each other, to forgive one another, build each other up. That's going to happen in smaller groups than this one in our life groups. And remember, we talked about three purposes of our life groups that we encourage all of you to be in. Three purposes, transformational teaching, biblical community, and missional living. All that happening in the beauty of the ministry of life groups. Two more blocks going up in our logo, and that is equip, which we're going to talk about now. And then next week, we're going to talk about engage. Right now, let's dive into the word. Ephesians 4, let's talk about equipping. Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, here it is, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow <clears throat> so that it builds itself up in love. Here in Ephesians 4, Paul has been talking about the unity of the church, and he's made the point that God has given spiritual gifts to the members of the body, and he's given spiritual leaders to the body. And he, he lists here some of the first century Christian leaders in the churches. That's verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds or pastors and teachers. So we would say in these days, we don't have apostles and prophets in the same sense now. So there's nobody on earth we would look at and say, hey, that guy is an apostle like the apostle Paul was an apostle. Because we think about the apostles in the New Testament, they had been with Christ and they carried authority in the church. Now, occasionally you'll see out online or maybe on television, somebody who will ascribe to themselves the title apostle. And I'm thinking, I hope you don't mean this type of apostle because you're not that. And usually it looks like an ego trip. I can't judge the man's motives, but I'm thinking it must go something like this. Well, that guy calls himself a bishop. I know what I'll do. I'll one-up that. I'll call myself an apostle. Touch that. <laughs> I'm an apostle. Nobody can touch me. 
But in reality, that's not can be meaning this. Now, there is the legitimate use of the word apostle now. It just means a sent one, a sent out one. So maybe a missionary would be an apostle in that sense, but not in the sense of having this type of authority. What about that role of prophet? We know it's certainly a biblical role of prophet, but do we have prophets like that today? There are plenty of people who would say, no, I am a prophet. I'm working in a prophetic ministry. And I can't speak for all of those, but I'm not impressed and I'm never convinced by those who kind of work in that realm and call themselves prophets. I don't know all of them, so again, I may not know uh, each one, but certainly what I have seen, those who really out online talk about this, sometimes on so-called Christian TV, I see a lot of ego, see a lot of error, and a lot of accompanying false teaching. So oftentimes in the same group that traffics in what they call modern prophecy, there's also a lot of prosperity gospel going on in the same movements and just does not seem to be healthy. In fact, it was in the 2020 election that so many of these so-called prophets were put to shame. They were making pr pronouncements, thus says the Lord, this is going to happen, this person is going to be elected and all that, and they doubled down on it, even after the election, that it somehow is going to be reversed, and they just were shown to be not prophets of God. Here's the big issue. I mean, God can do whatever he wishes. And so if somebody said to me after the service, Jim, I have a prophetic word for you. Could you meet me after church? I would meet with that person. And, uh, and that person would say something, and it really, whatever they were to say to me, here would be my response to that. I'd be as polite as I could be. I would just say, Maybe. Maybe. Jim, this is what's going to happen. God told me you're weak. It's going to go just like this. And I would go, maybe. Because I'm not going to build my whole life on whatever they just said. I'm not going to change my plans on what that person said. I have a Bible for that. So when I go to the Bible, when I read the scriptures, God's word, I don't ever go maybe with that. Absolutely. I have built my life on the scriptures. And we're building our lives on the scriptures. And so the best you could do with somebody claiming to be a prophet today is maybe we'll just have to wait and see on that. But how about evangelists? Yes, we're all called to evangelism to share this good news. We must do that, all of us. But there are some that God has equipped especially for that role. And then there are indeed pastors and teachers in the, in the life of the church active. And so let's ask the question, to what end do we have pastors and teachers? And what is their purpose? Now, first of all, before we talk about what is the purpose from our text, there are many erroneous ideas about the role of a pastor. So for some people, the pastor is just a chaplain. So pastor, do our weddings and funerals, your job's done. That's all we want from you. Then some take it, take it to the other extreme and say, actually, no, you're more like our priest. We pay you to do the ministry for us. So you pray for us. We're not going to pray. You pray. We're not going to read the Bible and study the Bible for ourselves. You tell us, what it, tell us what it means and you be our priest. Do that for us. Some people even treat a pastor like a shaman, not, not here. But there are people who maybe look at a pastor, a shaman is one who has special access to spiritual forces to help with healing and blessing. And so there might be people like, look, pastor, my prayers are no good, but you're a pastor and you've got an inside track to God and all the power and help I need. So you pray for me if this is all going to go well in my life. And we say, that's not biblical at all. You do know that if you know Jesus Christ, you are a part of a kingdom of priests because of the blood of Jesus given for you, he's the great high priest. He has given you access into the presence of God the Father. You get to go into the Holy of Holies because Jesus has cleansed you. He's the mediator. You get to go humbly, yes, but boldly even into the presence of God. There is no need for a priest other than Jesus in our lives. But how about this? Some would say, well, a pastor then, he's kind of like a superhero in that he has all the spiritual gifts. I might have one or two, but that pastor, he really has all the spiritual gifts. And that's not true. No person has all the spiritual gifts. No one person can meet all the needs of a church family. 
Here's the truth that pastors need other church members as much as the church members need the pastors and what gifts they bring into the life of the church. So then what is a pastor and what is his primary responsibilities among God's gifted people? Well, the ESV here that I've been reading from goes ahead and indicates that the word pastor here is the same word as shepherd. Poimenos is the Greek word, and you could bring it over as pastor or shepherd, equally true. It's the same idea. So in the New Testament, we have three words that refer to the same office that we uh, regularly call pastor. So we can talk about an elder, overseer, pastor, same office there. So we can say this, an elder oversees and shepherds God's people for their good and for his glory. So shepherds, pastors, have three functions, leading and guiding, teaching, and even protecting. So we're going to see that protecting function here in in the passage here. So at Staples Mill, we have five pastors working together as a team. So maybe you've read and heard about the wisdom of, the, of a plurality of elders. Like it's better to have more than one. And so we're functioning like that. We have five. We don't call them elders. We call them pastors, pastoral team, but the same idea. So now we talk about what is a pastor to do? Well, we're told here to equip the saints. That word equip means to make ready, to prepare, to complete. And here's the question. Who are these saints that the pastors and teachers are equipping? Answer, you are those saints. So our Catholic neighbors have it wrong. Where they have the idea that a saint is a super duper Christian who lived a certain life that even after they die, you can actually pray to them for help and get some help. And that's nowhere in the scripture. That is error. Because the New Testament teaches that if you have put your faith in Jesus, though you have been a sinner, by faith in Jesus, you are cleansed, made righteous, And he makes you a holy one. That's what saint literally means. You are a holy one. All by the work of Jesus. Not by your work. That's why all of us are rejoicing in Jesus. He's made you a saint in the sight of God. So pastors exist in the life of church to equip God's people for what? Now let's talk about five things together that we're to equip for as a church. First of all, we are to equip ourselves for the work of ministry. We're to equip ourselves for the work of ministry. So notice here in the text, it's not that pastors are to do all the work of a church or any other group of leaders in the church, that we all have a role. We all have spiritual gifts. The saints are being equipped for the work of ministry. Secondly, we're told in our text that we are to equip for building up the body of Christ. So Paul here uses a construction term of building up. In this context, it means to edify to strengthen, to advance his church. Every believer is to be functioning in the body, using their spiritual gift to build up and advance God's church. And so pastors and other church leaders labor toward that end in the body, that everybody would be growing, that everybody would be serving, helping the church to increase in health and strength and reach and impact. So several years ago now that we finally completed this building project. In 8 o'clock service, we actually worship over there in the new building. And, of course, there's the student space beneath all that, some additional adult life group rooms. We also expanded our parking. Remember that? And we even have underneath the ground that we don't even get to enjoy, but those filteras, those very expensive filteras for, for the water runoff for the Chesapeake Bay and all that. But that was a massive project. We planned for years, we prayed for years, and we sacrificially gave for years still. 
still sacrificially giving to pay it down. And by the way, that price is coming down nicely. That mortgage payment's going away fast because of the faithful giving there. But we got to watch what it looks like to work together to see an actual physical building built up. But wouldn't you agree, all that would have been for nothing if we were not simultaneously building up one another in Christ. Why would a church even need the buildings if we're not doing this essential of equipping ourselves to grow up in Christ? And so we are constantly thinking about how do we grow in greater and greater discipleship? We're building people more than we're trying to build facilities. So we're equipping for the work of ministry together. We're equipping for the building up of the Lord's body. And we're equipping for unity in the church family. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain, here it is, to the unity of the faith. And this is indeed the context here of Ephesians chapter 4. Look back at verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So most certainly in the church, we are equipping for greater and greater unity in the body. We must grow and reach others while at the same time maintaining our unity together. So think with me about literal shepherds who are actually shepherding animals. So literal shepherds, isn't it their goal when they go from one location to another destination, their goal is this, I need to get every sheep to the same destination. So we're heading to the water to be refreshed. My goal is to get the whole flock to the same destination at the same time. If we're going to the pastures to be fed and to rest, we're going to get every sheep there. That's the goal of the shepherd. And likewise here in a local church, that's the goal. We're going to do all this together. We can't fracture in all kinds of different ways and be a biblical church. So we must do this together. And so we equip ourselves for that. And that's why you hear me say regularly, going to do it again right now. And I'm sure in a couple of weeks, something will come up in a text and I'll remind us again, what is it that unifies us as a church? And I'm always going to point to three things. And I typically say it like this. We are united in our shared love for Jesus. We're united in our shared confidence in the scriptures. And we're united in our shared commitment to the Great Commission. Repeating that as part of us equipping, because think about it. There are a lot of reasons why we ought not to be unified. Think about it. We're all very different. We have different personalities. That alone would be reason enough for people just to scatter. Well, I'm an introvert. They're an extrovert. They talk too much. They're too quiet. There's reasons to not be unified. We say, oh, that's secondary, though, because we're unified in our love for Jesus, our confidence in the Scripture, and our commitment to the Great Commission. Think about this. We all have our own preferences. I like it louder. I like it quieter. I like it warmer. I like it colder. There are lots of reasons why people can just be annoyed and think, I don't even need anybody else. But that's secondary to what we're rallying to. You and I have the same goals. We're rallying to Christ, his word, and his mission. And so we equip for the purpose of unity, just like the text calls us to. How about this? We also equip for spiritual maturity. Look at verse 13. 
Start in verse 12, or running start into verse 13. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we intend to grow in unity even as we're growing in spiritual maturity. And those two actually are closely related to each other. You can't have a unified church if people aren't growing in spiritual maturity. Think of it this way. If somebody is spiritually immature, they have some characteristics that work against unity. Here are the marks of a person who's spiritually immature. Pride and selfishness. In fact, that's true of human beings. When a human being is little and they're immature and it's cute when they're little, they are kind of age-appropriately self-centered, kind of proud. It's all about them. And it's adorable when they're little. But anybody who stays that kind of proud and that self-centered beyond infancy, beyond toddlerhood, you're working them out of that. If they stay that way, well, it's difficult to relate to that person. You ever met an adult like that that's just immature, proud, and arrogant? So what if you had a church full of people like that? So really the greatest danger to a church is spiritual immaturity left unchecked, unchallenged in a church. Because you have a group of people that everybody's about themselves and about their own ego and their own agenda. These are people who throw tantrums when their preferences aren't met. And so spiritual maturity and this equipping for unity really all tied very closely together. So we must labor for spiritual growth. Even as we try to reach other people and see the body grow, maybe even numerically, we must be growing spiritually at the same time. Now, here's a question. How mature? What's the goal? How, how mature does God really want me to be? Here's the standard. Jesus. You might ask the question, is there some pattern God's using? What's he working on in me? What's, what's the goal he's trying to do in my life through this to this process. Oh, he just wants you to be like Christ. So as the years unfold, as you cooperate with the working of the Holy Spirit in you as a new Christian, he wants to make you more and more like Jesus. So in one sense, it's going to be this. You're going to be thinking more like Jesus as you walk with him, as you cooperate with him. You're going to respond more like Jesus. So things happen in life. And the old you, when you didn't know Christ and when you were a baby in Christ, you would react in a lot of anger, perhaps. You were one who would want to retaliate uh, to, against other people. And now Christ has been working your life. You've moved some years with him, daily walk with him. You think, you know, now I still have those temptations to unload on somebody. But he, he's now given me a new capacity to forgive, to not be bitter, to bless when I've been cursed, to be slow to anger, to not try to retaliate against other people. So we must mature. We're to become more loving, more patient, more consistent, more faithful, more kind, more fruitful. As we mature in Christ and we're built up into that, we'll be quicker to turn away from temptation. Certainly still tempted, but quicker to turn away from it. Quicker to forgive. Quicker to serve other people. Quicker to lay aside our own personal comforts that we might take up the kingdom of God. So we're to keep, keep growing. And then this, we're to equip for doctrinal stability and security. We're to equip for doctrinal stability and security. That's verse 14. Look at it again. Very strong words here. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So a major task of pastors and teachers in the church 
is to teach the word of God to protect the church from false doctrine. So the false teaching can come from within the church, but it also can come in from outside in the culture. And so we must equip ourselves against that. Paul wrote to and spoke to rather the, the leaders of the church in Ephesus as recorded in Acts 20 verses 28 through 30. Listen to this. He gives this warning. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departures, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul warned them, there will be those from within the church who will come in and try to lure away the saints with their false teaching, be on guard against that. But we also know that that is coming in from the outside as well. Last month, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway released a research study where they looked at the state of theology in America. They surveyed people who are not church people and got their take on God and truth and all those things. But then they also compared that to those who are self-professing evangelical Christians. And here's what they found. Far too often, their views are identical. Those who are lost and those who attend churches in evangelical churches, there's a lot of error even among the believers. So listen to this, just five examples from their research. They say, sadly, 26% of evangelicals do not believe the Bible to be literally true. So they affirm this statement, that, it, that the Bible contains helpful myths, but not always true. That's 26% of people who say they're evangelicals. Listen to this. Only 34% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is the only way to God. That's, that's not the majority. Look at it. Only 34% believe that Jesus is the only way to God. And these people call themselves evangelicals. 43% believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. 60% of the people who self-identified as evangelical believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a person. Listen, that's denying the Trinity. That's a heresy. And 60% of the people saying they're evangelicals believe that. 57% believe that human beings are basically good by nature and not sinful. Evangelicals saying that. So some of these things that we've listed here are classic heresies, not, not fringe mistakes, but right at the heart of what Christianity is, right at the heart of the gospel, they're off here. So who is God? They have got that wrong. What is man and what's his problem? How can you be right with God? The belief that what is any path will get you there. So how does this happen? It's by not equipping in the word of God, not knowing the truth. So we must be intentional here in the life of the church to equip one another in the truth. And our primary tool in this equipping is the scriptures, the very word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Listen, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that's why we labor in the teaching of these glorious scriptures that we would be protected from error out in the culture and even from within. So with all this equipping we talked about, here's the question. Are you availing yourself to all of this equipping? Are you being equipped? 
Has it been your goal in the life of the church? Oh, yeah, I want to worship, I want to love one another, and I need to be equipped. And let me just remind you how you can go about this equipping, this, this essential in your life and in the life of the church. First of all, in your own personal devotional time with Jesus. Whatever you call that time, a quiet time, devotional time, whatever, do you have it? Can I say it this way? You're going to get weak and weird fast if you don't meet with Jesus regularly on your own with the Bible. You're going to get weak and weird fast. So we, I just gave you stats from this recent study of evangelicals. How does that happen? How can people become heretics attending church? Because they're influenced more by the world around them. They're adopting the values of the world. They're not meeting with God in the scriptures, being corrected day by day. Oh, this is true. This is what our God says. I yield to the scriptures. You're going to get weird. Plenty of people do if you don't spend time in the Bible and prayer. Now, we do have a seminar coming up that should help with this. So Larry Trotter's coming on November 4th and 5th. And this is the topic. To how to, what was the name of the topic here? Delighting in the company of God. So that's you. How, how do you meet with God? And so if you feel like I've gotten a bit stale in my quiet time or I've never really nailed down that discipline of doing that consistently, put that on your calendar. Perhaps that'll be some help for you November 4th and 5th. You can sign up on our website. Worship services. So here you are. That's, that's great because what are we doing? We're equipping from the word of God even in these moments, even as we worship. In our life groups, remember we talk about transformational teaching happens in there and you're being equipped in there along with other brothers. Grow groups, grow groups are when you get a, a couple of guys or a couple of ladies get together outside of the life group to study a little bit deeper about something or to hold each other accountable. Those are wonderful, a great place for equipping. Our youth group has home teams. They do their life groups right now on a Sunday morning, but in the evenings they meet in homes around the, around the area to go a little bit deeper into some things. And again, know people more personally and to maybe hold each other accountable. We even have a building blocks uh, ministry here where parents are helped at different milestone, milestones in their child's life. Here's what I can do as a parent to equip my child here. And Pastor Dustin has one coming up, that one that Tommy uh, advertised earlier, parenting in the pews, equipping parents to equip their children to be worshipers in here with us. We have a media center with resources for your equipping. We have seminars from time to time on various things to help you. Our women's ministry has different Bible studies on different topics to be helpful in equipping you. Our men's breakfast has a speaker each time to equip you. And then how about this? You say, well, you're not hitting the topics where I need to be equipped. You have a team of five pastors who exist to equip you. And so if we're not hitting something where you need equipping, you can use that connection card or call the church office. Hey, I need somebody to sit down with me and teach me how to pray or teach me how to have time in the word of God. What would that even look like? Or I've told you before, several months ago, I had two young men at two different times say to me, hey, Jim, could you meet me for lunch? I just want to be better equipped to share my faith with other people. That's every pastor's dream to get that email, to get that text. Absolutely, we'll meet. Let's talk about how to share our faith with somebody. So where do you need to be equipped? If it's not being covered by something else, you just let us know. I want to be equipped here, and we will make that happen. And then Paul concludes this way. Look at verse 15 again. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up, catch it, in love. So all that we're talking about doing in this realm of equipping and everything else, it's all driven by love. Look over this passage and Paul just drops that word love in repeatedly. Verse 2, bearing with one another in love. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Verse 16, building itself up in love. And so we aspire for the atmosphere here at our church is to be love. 
that the culture we want to have here as a church is love. That when people come among us, they know this. Oh, they love Jesus. And they love each other. And they even love their neighbors. And they even love unreached people groups in distant places. These people have a culture of love. You and I want to grow in that. In fact, I'll say it this way. And all the learning you've done over the decades, all the equipping you've done, if it hasn't resulted in you loving Jesus more and loving others more, start over. Did something wrong. You got a lot of things memorized. You got a lot of facts and figures. But if it's not resulting in you loving Jesus more and loving other people more, something's been off the whole time. Let's just start over. Let's go right back to what it's all about. You're not fully equipped, and I'm not fully equipped if I'm not loving more and more like Jesus. So we've been talking about our strategy. Encounter, encourage, equip. Next week, we'll meet together. We're going to talk about engage. Engage.